Uh, welcome back. Uh, you may say welcome back. Like, what do you mean? Um, welcome to Taking Off the Mass podcast. My name is Ashanti Branch, and I'm really glad that you've joined us. Um, I just started making this video um, a few minutes ago, and then the camera went off, and I was like, why is the camera going off? And um, I guess I didn't hit record. Um, I was recording audio on a different device, and the video went off. And maybe just my emotions were just getting the better of me. I was already feeling a little bit excited and nervous and vulnerable. And because I'm kind of doing this alone and I have uh, some help here, but I'm, I'm kind of operating everything by myself just because I'm feeling a lot. Um, the first five minutes I don't even have recorded as a video. But you are going to hear the audio, and I think that... Um, I think I want you to hear the original audio that I told, um, and so I'm gonna play some video, some pictures of when I was little, and just let you see some of my growing up. Um, and so, in the first five minutes, you'll just hear me, my voice, but you'll see pictures of me as a little boy. And um, you know, there's a picture of me sitting on a couch with my my my, my legs crossed, uh, wearing a suit, and um, that was the picture when I was eight years old. And um, um, the story that you're going to hear is a story about when I was eight years old. And so please enjoy. Uh, this is going to be a different episode of Taking Off the Mask. Um, it's, it's me doing my best to take off more of my mask. I think it's a mask that um, for a lot of my life I didn't know I was wearing, but once I realized it, um, it's... And quite interesting. Um, as you see behind me, all of these shirts that are um, mask related. I think that's why this movement is so important to me and it's been so meaningful to me is because I'm not just one of the facilitators of it, I'm one of the participants. I'm a participant who knows that there's so much that has gone on in my life things that I've been through, things that I've done, things that I've experienced, and I don't get to talk about it. And so today, as you may have seen on this CNN um, show, um, the world knew about it. I didn't know that part was gonna be shown. Um, I, I would have prepared my mom for that because I actually told her to watch it. And uh, as you can imagine, um, as a, that scene happened, <laughs> I could only imagine what her face was doing because when I heard it, when I heard the words come out of my mouth, I was stunned. And I was just like, and you actually, I'm probably gonna show you that video that you can hear me right after it happened. I was like, OMG, oh my God. I better go find my mom and go talk to her. I better go, because this is gonna create a lot of emotions. Welcome uh, to Taking Off the Mask podcast. <laughs> the reason it's a interesting introduction is because I um, I'm not interviewing anyone today. I'm actually going to be just talking to myself, and I'm not only talking to myself. I'm actually 
reflecting about the uh, This Is Life with Lisa Ling episode. Oh, man, I feel it already. <laughs> so, um, wow, wow. So let me try and uh, keep it together while we um, have this conversation. <sighs> okay. So if you've seen the episode, uh, you know that um, and if you saw the scene where I'm at the fire with the young men, um, you see that I revealed something really personal. Um, you know, they didn't capture all the whole story, but they did capture the essence of it is that um, I was attacked and I was raped. And this happened when I was eight years old, when I was little. Uh, it happened at a camp. It happened in a time where my mom was very protective. It was me, my sister, my little brother. I was the man of the house at eight years old. I was had a lot of responsibilities. I really never got to spend a night at anyone else's house. I never got to really leave home. Even sometimes going to spend a night at my grandfather's house would cause problems. My mom would be like, why do you always want to be over there? And I just like... <laughs> I just want to be around my, my grandfather. I wanted to have some male energy in my life, you know? And um, I, I love my mom. And I think my mom, I know my mom. I, I know, but I say I felt she really loved me. But she was just like holding on so tight, so tight. And so I got this opportunity to go to this camp. And I was like, oh, my God, I get to be away from home. I get to go in, in the outdoors. Like, I love that camp. I remember the camp being very positive until that event. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about what happened, but I just, I think the biggest part that, I, I'm, that I'm coming to grapple with is the idea that for so many years, like, like I blame myself. And right after it happened, when I came home the next day, I think I'm trying to like get this story really clean for you, but it's not a clean story. It's a complicated story. It's a it's a story of something that happened when I was eight years old. And for most of my life, I had kind of pushed it to a part of my memory that wasn't activated. I remember coming home the next morning after the event. Um, and um, I was in the bathroom, just kind of like regrouping. And I remember just being in the mirror crying, like just, you know, crying in the mirror. And I remember my mom coming to the door. She's like, are you okay? What's going on? And I was like, oh, no, I just hit my head on something. Like. I remember making them the lie that quick because my mom, if, you, if she asks you a question, you got to answer right away. So I was like, if I think too long, she knows I'm trying to make up a story. So I was like, oh, I just bumped my head on the sink or something. I don't know. But it was more like I just needed her to get off my back. But I knew even right then that I couldn't tell her. I felt at eight years old, I don't really know what shame was. But whatever... The feeling wasn't my body. It was like, she can't know about this. I think probably if I look at the bigger picture of like what it was, it wasn't that I thought that she wouldn't help me. I think probably I was, because I knew how intense she was, that I knew that, I don't know what I knew. But here's what I think as I look back. Like, I know my mom would have went after somebody probably. <laughs> and then... So, so I don't know really my eight-year-old um, metacognitive thinking, but something in me said, don't tell. Part of me was thinking, like, could she handle it? Could could this could her love for me sustain and with, withstand this news? And I did the best I could at eight. 
And so I held it. I kept it. And I think that somehow in the next day or so, it began to, um, once some of the physical pain kind of went away, the, the story, it just disappeared. Like I just kept existing, living my life. And it was only five years ago, 2015, um, late 2015, when I recall the story, uh, doing a workshop with, you know, our taking off the mass workshops. And a man in the story, in the circle, we, we go to that deep place of you can't tell by looking at me. And he told his story. And I felt his words like really intensely. I don't know why. Like really intensely, I felt his words. And I remember like going home that night. And what we do in that circle, you know, is really it stays in that circle. So I wasn't going to reach out to him and go back to him. But I was like, man, why is this story ringing so true in my head? Why is it ringing so real? I remember the next morning I got up and I you know, went to the bathroom getting ready. I washed my face. I remember just looking in the mirror and I remember starting to cry. Like I, I recalled <laughs> I recalled eight-year-old me in the mirror. Like putting on a mask or nothing. But I remembered. And now as an adult, I'm remembering this story. I remember looking up at myself in the mirror and I remember seeing myself at eight years old. With my mom asking me, what's wrong? While I'm crying. And I remembered what had happened. And so since the last five years, as I've been doing workshops all over the world, well, in lots of places around the world, I presented, I'm going to have a count, well over 200, maybe close to 300 workshops, inviting people to take off their mask. And I always do. I always make my mask. I'm always getting real. But I also knew that right behind what I was writing on the card Well, something I couldn't even talk about. That fear gripped me. Even on a card that was anonymous. So when we invite people to participate in this movement, I don't take it lightly. I don't take it lightly that you're asking people to share things that they may have never shared. I don't ask them to share their deepest, darkest secrets. I just ask them to write three things. And I always write three things. I've made hundreds of masks over the last four or five years. Made them, drawn them, written them out on paper. And I just couldn't talk about it. And so when people ask me at a talk or like, where, where is your passion behind this project? Why, do you, why are you so passionate about it? I speak from the heart. But I knew deep down that I was, had this thing that I was not talking about that was hard. I was worried about talking about it in public before I talked to my mom about it. I knew that I needed to talk to her about it. But there was never a good time. There was never a good moment. There was, 
oh, you know, it's too close to a holiday. It's you know, too close to her birthday. You know, it's too close to this. It's too close to that. It was, uh, we're not, uh, like, it's just, it was never a good time. I remember even one time I invited her out to dinner. We, she said she wanted burritos. I went to our favorite spot, got burritos. We went to the park, San Leandro Marina, had a table. We were, like, sitting there, had everything laid out. And literally, as I, we started talking, I started reminding her about, or asking her about where we used to live and where was this and where was that. I was trying to get in context. And I was about to tell her, and then a fight breaks out at the table next to us at the park. This, this, these people who were at this next table, they start fighting. And I'm like, oh, it's not, not the right time again. And so yesterday was the time um, where the, the Band-Aid was, was kind of ripped off of the womb. And actually, I, one of my mentors I talked to last night, I said it was like duct tape. <laughs> it was like taking a piece of duct tape and you're like, okay, let me just rip this thing off of this wound. You know there's going to be some flesh left on the duct tape. <laughs> so, you know, Sunday night we were, uh, I was at home watching the, the broadcast. I saw our, the first scene with the circle and me having this conversation with Miguel on the screen. And as I was watching him, I was like, when he said, um, you know, I just think I wanted to help other people and I, you know, I don't need to worry about myself. And I was really thinking about in my mind, like, but there's so much more. I can just tell. I can tell there's so much more going on with that young man. He wasn't ready. I said, you want to say it? And he was like, what? I'm like, whatever it is you need to say. He was like, no, not really. So I knew that there was more going on with him. And as I had the closing scene, when I, I see his face, I'm like, I probably need to reach out to him. I hope he's found someone to take off that mask with. So I'm thinking, okay, cool. That was a little part of the before work. That was my, my all right. It felt, I felt good about it, right? <laughs> Goes away on commercial, comes back, and uh, then they're like, and then that night, <laughs> they're like, they come around the fire, and that the fire is the element called the worst day of your life. And I remember that I was leading that piece, but I didn't remember the story that I told. So I was like, welcome to the worst day of your life. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, okay, what is this? I'm thinking, am I going to tell the story about, you know, some childhood stuff or what am I going to tell the story about? I remember, and I remember hearing the words coming out of my mouth was like, and you know, and the certain things I didn't tell my mom. And then I said it, I said, I didn't tell her that I was attacked and raped. And literally, when I heard the words come out of my mouth on TV, it was almost like I was watching, it was almost an out-of-body experience. I don't even know how to describe what was happening. I just remember saying, oh, crap. Like, I didn't know that... (laughs) I didn't know that that part was going to be in there. I don't so when I'm in the mountains, when I'm in the woods, when I'm with the young men, where we're doing the work, I am not like um, trying to like put on a show. I'm not on stage and I'm not, and it's a confidential kind of place for me. So I, I, in my mind, I'm like just going. I didn't remember what I had said. I didn't remember. Now, if you know more of my story, you would know that I've been trying to tell her for a while, but I hadn't yet told her. Like, literally, I've been trying for maybe like a year and a half, two years, like, to tell her. Like, still had not told her. So when that's where happened, I'm like, oh, my gosh. 
Now I was hoping that because it's only like four words, like she really didn't hear it. Like it was, I was hoping that because it was like mumbled and blah, 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 and it was outdoors and the fire was crackling. Now the TV I was watching on had closed captioning on it. So it was like, I read the words. I'm like, so I heard it and then I read it and I was like, oh my God. (laughs) So I freaked out. I freaked out. And I'm gonna show you the video that I made right after that because I made a video like literally right there on my phone. Like, oh my goodness, I gotta go. I gotta go. Go talk to my. I gotta talk to my mom. Like, she didn't know. And now, if she heard it, which she may have heard it, she she knows. And I don't want her blaming herself. So I'm making this video real quick. Um, I'm just watching the CNN piece and. Um, so it's my first time seeing it. So I didn't know actually that that part was going to be in there about me being raped as a kid. So now, and I have not told my mom about it yet, but now she knows. So I'm feeling a little vulnerable. I feel a little bit nervous to talk to her. I have to go talk to her at some point soon. Like maybe I gotta call her tonight. But I'm feeling that pressure right now. Oh man. I wanted to talk to her before I told the world. <laughs> this is not how I planned it to happen. So let me go back to watching this show. And so it was, uh, it was tough. It was uh, a thousand ideas, thoughts going in my head and also knowing that because I'm, um, I'm the oldest, I'm self-proclaimed mama's boy, like I never want to hurt her. And maybe that's what my eight-year-old self was trying to do. It was like, I don't want to hurt her. Because how could you be a man of the house and you let this happen to you? I mean, first of all, what do I know about being a man at eight years old anyway? I don't really know, but I just didn't want to cause harm. And so I made that a quick little video so I could just feel what I was feeling because I was feeling really like overwhelmed. And um, once the show was over, I went to have a talk with her. And um, it was a beautiful talk. It was... It was healing, it was some crying, it was some, but I wanted to make sure she didn't blame herself. As much as my eight-year-old self was protecting her, my older self, I'm, I don't even know what, how old am I right now, I'm gonna make up a no, I'm 45. Like my 45-year-old self was also trying to protect her. That I didn't want her to blame herself. And so that's how it happened. I confessed to my mom that I was attacked and sexually assaulted on national TV. A show that she had told all of her friends to go watch. That I had told everybody in my database to go watch. I wonder if I had known if that was going to be in there, if I would have told anybody to watch it. And... um, and, 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 I, and I realized in the moment, 
that even though I'm an adult with gray hair all over my face, like my mom went back into mom mode. She blamed herself. She was like, why didn't I know? Why didn't you tell me? Like I would have hurt somebody. Like I, I believe that she was true. <laughs> I believe that she, was, she meant what she said. And maybe my eight-year-old self also knew that what would happen if I tell this and then it destroys our family because, because she wanted to protect me. Maybe I knew that I couldn't see at eight years old the situation getting better before it got worse. And so at eight years old, as the man of the house, I made a decision. I made a seemingly easy decision in the moment. Looking back, it may have been complicated, but I made a decision to not talk about it. And so today I, the story is ringing. And I think that one of the things that I realized is that it's been a hard journey. I told my mom, I said, listen, you raised me very well. Like I have a career that I'm passionate about. I have a job that is meaningful to me. Um, I am, I'm clear that like you did an incredible job. Like I wasn't carrying this for 30 plus years. Like, like not, I, I had forgotten about it. Like whatever it was that allowed me to put it into a part of my mind and my body, my brain that was able to not remember it. Like I, 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 was, I, I was able to do well. Now I do know a lot of young people in our work who are not able to put those memories away. They, they replay over and over and over again. And they go to substances and drugs and alcohol and relationships and other things to, to divert the attention. And hopefully it's healthy behaviors. Hopefully it's maybe sports or writing or music or maybe it's something that they can pour their passion into around what is going on with them and sometimes they can't. We've heard stories of people in the past who've stopped talking for years. We've heard stories in the past of people who went into a recluse. We've heard many stories of people throughout history who've responded in different ways. I think one of the ways that I responded was um, through eating. I mean, at seven years old, eight years old, I was already taking care of my siblings, like cooking, cleaning, and doing all that. But cooking was one that I found a way of like pushing my energy into. I could be really good at that. I'm a big guy. I've been, I've been a big guy most of my life. But if you see that picture when I was eight years old and you see what happens after that, I began to like balloon. Like I began to just eat. And we didn't have a whole lot of food to eat, but whatever we had to eat, Shanti was eating it. <laughs> I think food became my comfort. Food began to be where I went for safety because I can feel good. 
this cookie, this cake, this pie. And if I go to a party and they're like, hey, you want to take some food home? I'm like, heck yeah. I would have plates coming home because I could have more joy. So maybe subconsciously I knew in my body, there's a book that's called The Body Keeps the Score. I forgot who the author is, but it's an incredible book that I've been reading. And the body remembers. But I didn't remember in my mind. So I was doing subconscious behaviors. I was eating everything in sight. Like I was ballooning. By the time I was in, I want to say, let me see, what grade was that? Probably by the time I was in the 10th grade, I was well over 300 pounds. I don't know if I can find a picture of that time, but I was a big boy. And it wasn't until I began to find how to a job and I found some other things to pour my energy into. I started riding my bike a lot. I lost a lot of weight on my, toward my senior year of high school. My weight has always just been up and down, up and down. And so the reason I'm here today, I want to tell you about this part of this journey. And, you know, I, I interviewed Lewis Howes on my show, on this show. You know, he was one of our first interviews. I interviewed him literally with COVID. It was in July. I had COVID. I was literally holding myself up on the table to keep the interview going. Um, as you notice, I don't have any video footage from that because I forgot to record the video. I don't know what I did, but we have the audio from it. And he tells part of his story about um, being sexually abused when he was little. And when he said it, everything in me was like, say it. Like, tell him. I didn't tell him. I didn't. I, I was like, man, thank you for sharing your story. Like with full empathy and full care of him sharing his story with me. And I was on my own show called Taking Off the Mask. It was one of those masks I just still couldn't take off. I think I was really protecting what I thought I was doing. I was protecting my mom. And maybe I was also protecting me. I was like, what's going to happen to me? You know, that unhealthy start of my life in terms of being connected to sexual behavior plagued probably part of my young sexual experiences. Like not knowing what I'm thinking about, what I'm doing, like what, what's going on, like why me, like like. So many stories I tell myself. And as I've been trying to write this book, I've been having barriers of like, well, I, I can't, how do I tell this story and this part is going to be connected because of that part. And I, I found myself write a barrier. I have an editor who's trying to help me and I'm stuck because I can't talk about this thing. And I'm finally realizing that some of those barriers were I just needed to take off the Band-Aid. Take off the the covering of the wound and deal with the wound so that it can heal. And so today, and, and as, as, you, as I'm saying this and I feel myself smiling, it's a pattern. I showed a picture uh, a couple of weeks ago that was taken at a men's leadership intensive and um, a man took a picture of me, really powerful picture. Um, I had my hair down, which I almost never do. And he said, just do me a favor, just um, don't smile right now. Just like, look normal. And if you ever see a picture of my father, my father, um, his lips are shaped downward. 
and which is what I earned, from, what, I, what I gained from him. He, he died before I was born. I never met him, but I did. <laughs> I do have his lips. So if I don't smile, you may think I'm frowning. And so I've learned to always put a smile on my face for safety, protection, for worry of others, thinking I'm, I'm trying to threaten them or whatever it may be. And so as I was telling part of the story, and you may have seen me smile, I'm, I'm not smiling because I think anything is joyful. But there is a sense of joy coming through me right now that I'm thankful that um, my mom is now aware of this story, that everything's okay. There was a lot of healing in those conversations that we had that night. I did my best to assure her that it's not her fault. It's only been five years that I'm remembering the story itself, but that she did an incredible job raising me. I'm thankful for her. And I'm thankful for whatever. Well, you may believe in lots of things, you know. You may, I believe in God, and I believe that he helped me to, to get to where I am today. There's a song that I'm going to play for you that I want you to hear uh, because uh, it really talks about this idea of these masks. That sometimes we tell the lie that everything's fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And we know that it's a good one, like this shirt right here that Corbett made. It's a shirt that says, I'm okay. It says, I'm okay on the outside. Look, I'm okay. I'm okay. And look in between, I'm okay. Look what's in between, I'm okay. See the word there? It says not. I have been okay. I've been working hard. I, I graduated from college. I had a career. I'm changed careers. I'm following my dream. I'm doing what I believe I'm born and to do. And I know that along the way I've made some mistakes. But I'm so glad that today I get to be in this work. Working with Young men in our work with Ever Forward Club, working with teachers and parents and social workers and people who work with youth, working with leaders to recognize that if we don't do our best to stay connected to who we really are, what's really going on with us, that as we try and serve others, we can only serve them from the part of us that they can see. Matthew Brown in New Zealand in his talk, uh, he talks about you can only be loved as much as you are really known. And I always thought that this story would cause me to be unlovable. Maybe that's what I thought. I'm still grappling with the, the reality that the story is now in the open. And um, I'm looking forward to connecting back with some of the people who have shared their story with me. And now that I'm courageous enough <laughs> and I'm, I'm brave enough to maybe even share my story with them. And so, on today's episode of Taking Off the Mask, I just wanna appreciate you for listening. Um, I don't have all the answers right now. I don't know what's gonna happen next. I feel like there is a turning happening, that this book that I wanna write is on the way, that this journey of this work is moving forward. And I hope that, that you'll just come along the journey with us. And if you haven't made your mask, I invite you to do that. And when I ask people to do that, I don't take it lightly. 
we set a goal to collect a million masks. Like Vic, this is our, our new shirt. Look, the million mask movement. Look at that. <laughs> we collect a million masks. Like the first goal was a hundred thousand. I don't even know, you know, that was a big goal already, but so far we've hit 50,000 masks of people who have said, I'm going to share a couple of things with you. And we know that it's not that always that easy. But we thank you for listening, for sharing, for liking, for clicking, for telling someone about it. We hope that uh, this will inspire you. That's what I hope. I hope that what I get to do more than anything in my life is I get to leave a legacy of somebody who cared a lot, who struggled a lot, and who also tried to give the best of himself to help make the world a better place. And so if the work that we're doing inspires you, if you know a, a teacher, a school, a community who needs this work, you can share um, the website with them, www.100kmasks.com. Um, in early 2021, we're going to be launching a new version. So um, not, it'll be new, but it'll be also opportunity for a deeper engagement and deeper resources for those who are participating. So we invite you to continue. Um, being a part of this. Thank you for letting me speak my story today. I am uh, appreciating this platform and whether one person or 100 people listen to this, um, it was freeing for me to um, come and tell you this story because every mass I've made in these podcasts, every mass I've made, um, not one of them did I... Um, tell this part of my story. And I don't know that I will. I don't know that on the next episode I'm going to talk about that thing, but I am clear that um, I find more freedom. And I'm thankful for that. Thank you very much. Have a great um, holiday season. Um, we will um, keep connecting with you and keep connecting with people. And if you know someone who Maybe we should interview if you know somebody, if you want to be interviewed, if you want to be a part of a face-to-face -face conversation with another person and make a mask, we would love to invite you to be a part of this movement. We're, we're, on, a, we're, on, a, we're on an adventure right now, and we would love to be on this adventure with you. Thank you very much for listening to Taking Off The Mask Podcast. Thank you for allowing me to take off my mask here today, and we look forward to seeing you in the future. If what you heard today you enjoyed, if you've listened to this and you found something inspiring, please like and subscribe to this podcast. That's the best way for someone to uh, find this podcast, maybe like you did. Uh, please tell someone about it. If you know, listen to some of our previous episodes and if one of them rings out to you, please share it with somebody you know. Uh, we also invite people to join us in a face-to-face -face where they come together with another person to make a mask and talk about that mask together. There's short conversations, about 20, 30 minutes. So if that's something that's interesting to you, please uh, send us a message. Send us a, in the comments below. Let us know that you're interested in that. And we look forward to you joining the movement of the million mask movement. And check out our new shirt. I don't know if you, how you can if you can see it, but this is our new shirt, Million Mask Movement. 
And so uh, we'll have these soon available, uh, but we look forward to you being a part of the movement and supporting our work. Uh, please consider supporting the work that we do in Ever Forward and in the work uh, that we do in the Million Mask Movement to let people around the world realize that they're not alone. Thank you.